0: Halloween, kind of interesting day on a Sunday. Um, it is the Eve of All Saints Day. You got to keep that in mind as well, too, November 1st, tomorrow, which, uh, you know, again, associated with Martin Luther and Reformation, the religious freedoms that were won at that time in history. It's, it's also, I've heard, <clears throat> uh, the, the one day where we pretend the five-pound bag of candy we buy is for the trick-or-treaters. We know, especially especially the chocolate people. We know, we understand. But uh, Halloween is an interesting interesting uh, day, I guess. Uh, you know, Christians just we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I mean, should we celebrate it? Should we participate in it? Uh, you know, what should we be, should we be trick or treating? What? And uh, you know, what if someone sees me? <laughs> uh, there are a wide array of uh, opinions out there <clears throat> regarding this day but uh, you, you think about it though today is probably the one day out of the year when neighbors who in reality uh, might be total strangers will actually interact with not not one but many of the people in their neighborhood you're going to have people coming knocking at your door if you're there and waiting and neighbors who don't often maybe speak to each other will We'll now knock on each other's doors, and we'll interact with maybe the first time in a year, and so you have opportunity possibly be there and say, "Hey, don't you live down the road? Hey, all right, good, good to know you finally, or whatever." But regardless of your opinion on Halloween, <clears throat> Halloween gives gives Christians an, an incredible opportunity. Uh, most of most of your neighbors will celebrate Halloween. They will, especially if they have got little kids, they'll take them on out to get the candy, right? Now, Jesus has sent us to, re- if he has sent us to reach our neighbors, if he expects us to um, spread the good news among our neighborhood, shouldn't we leverage this holiday as well too as a way to be maybe missional in our neighborhood and bring glory to God? Hey, turn turn this time around a little bit and give glory to God in this. Don't allow your family to miss out on this incredible opportunity to uh, to get to know your neighbors and also to maybe... Be missionaries among the many who need Jesus, and so you're going to have that opportunity knocking right at your door. <laughs> so take that opportunity to be a blessing to those who come. But uh, uh, if you if you want to be more intentional this year, let me give you some last minute uh, tips here, suggestions possibly. Of course, number one is pray. Always pray. Pray that God would go before you and prepare the hearts of those you will meet, and pray that uh, you will you will meet people of peace, those people who you're able to maybe uh, share your story with, possibly. We pray that the Lord will show you uh, the needs of those around you and how your family can meet those needs. As someone comes and knocks at your door and realize, oh, that's the family down the road, and oh, maybe they might need some babysitting, or maybe they might need some some help, some tangible thing you can do for them. You can also, another thing you do to be intentional um, this, this, this time is to answer the door, <laughs> So, <laughs> you know, don't be the house that turns out the lights and shuts the window blinds and says, "I'm not here." Um, we can hide, but I mean, if they know that that you follow Christ, uh, they're going to go, "Well, if that's a Christian." I, I don't want anything to do with that. But you know, be warm, be inviting, uh, greet children and their parents warmly, and maybe compliment the children's outfits. Uh, <laughs> and be careful. Well, anyway. You, you just have fun with them. Enjoy them. And, and, and also, too, give out the best. Give out the best. Don't, I mean, don't do the little tiny one candy for you only. There you go. Don't take any more. But, you know, give out large candy bars or something. That, so they'll know that your house is the house that goes beyond and above anything else. And they'll want to come back next time. And so they'll know that, hey, that's that house down there. And you have an opportunity a way in. Also, too, maybe you want to do a reverse trick-or-treat. Now, I'm not talking about tricking anyone, but being more intentional, maybe you want to do a reverse one so that if you're going to go out, little kids, you got little kids, you want to take them on out, or if you want to go out yourself and get candy or whatever, you can go out among the neighborhood and uh, do the unexpected as you go around by giving treats to your neighbors instead door-to-door knock, and they say, oh, hi, and they bring you a bowl of candy, and you're going, hi, and you give them something, whatever it might be. Now, I know baked goods and stuff like that might not be the thing these days, but there's something that you could probably think of uh, that you'd be able to hand out. And, and you probably attach a note to it saying, no, it's, it's no trick. We are your neighbors, and we would love to get to know you better. And that would be a great way to get to know your neighbors in that way. But uh, yeah, doing stuff like that. Oh, another thing too, you could serve the parents. You could uh, uh, brainstorm some kind of creative thing, but maybe you could uh, set up a hot chocolate or hot apple cider or even a coffee station right there on your porch or garage. Uh, I mean, uh, well, inside your garage if you want to, or on your driveway. And so then the parents, as their little kids are going up and getting candy, they're pretty cold probably, you can offer them some hot drink or whatever. And so they can come do that. There's there's many ways to. be able to engage in this time. So I just want to share a few of them for you. And uh, uh, being able to serve others, being out there to be a blessing to others, I think this is a great time to do that. And uh, I trust that today you'll not miss out on what God is, has for you and how he's going to use you this day today. So something to think about. I just want to let you know about that because, you know, today is the day where we might go, what do we do with it? <laughs> you get candy, of course. But uh, what can we do with it and be more missional? So there's some, some ideas for you. Let me go back in the last Sunday's message and do a little review to kind of get us into a jumpstart in today's message, if you will. We've been going through the series on uh, discipleship, and uh, we looked at the cost of discipleship last Sunday. We looked at Luke chapter 14 and the situation there. Where Jesus was warning the crowds who followed him to count the cost of discipleship. It's going to cost you, and uh, he he even went as far in in Luke fourteen verse twenty six as saying, "If you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, children, brothers, sisters, or even your own life, you can't be my disciple." And so a lot of them are going, "Whoa, that's that's pretty." We look at that and we think hate, but that word hate, like explained last Sunday, meant more of placing. Something below. And so if we don't place everything below Jesus, then we're going to be, we're going to be distracted. We're going to be focused on that. And uh, uh, a disciple must place everything below Jesus, which, again, doesn't mean neglecting those things or those people, those relationships, but it is a priority thing. And for a disciple, nothing can ever be more important than Jesus. And then in verse 27 of Luke 14, uh, we t- he talked about the cross. And if you don't carry a cross, you, everyone as a disciple must carry their cross. And, and cross carrying was a pretty shocking concept back then. A time where, you know, of course, you had crucif- crucifixion going on and, and that was the, the punishment. And, and so when they heard that, they're like, hmm, I don't know if this is where I need to be with this guy. And, and so Jesus shared a couple stories to kind of clarify that. And he told two stories, one about a tower and one about the, uh, 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 a king in war. And so in verses 28 and 30, he talked about the, this tower, how, how a builder will plan things out. And if he doesn't consider the cost and all that, and he can't finish it. Then there are issues, there are problems. And so there needs to be a total commitment involved. Everything you have needs to be committed to Jesus as a disciple. So if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you must start and continue and finish life as a believer. That's what needs to happen in a follower of Christ. And then he talked about the king planning war against another kingdom and in and, and that king. And uh, doesn't that king consider the cost of the war? and What will happen if he's able to win it or not? And and so um, all that to say is that you need to be prepared and you need to have total surrender. What, everything you you are, your future, you need to be ready to surrender that uh, to Jesus. And so pride and arrogance can stop people from seeing reality, and the reality is that God requires total surrender. So we talked about those things last week, and, and also capping it off and saying in verse 33 of that same chapter of Luke, if you don't give up everything you have, you can't be my disciples, is what Jesus said. And uh, so what, what, will it, what will it cost you to follow Jesus? Is how We kind of concluded that time last Sunday. And uh, basically the answer is it will cost you everything you have. <laughs> total, total commitment and everything you are. A total surrender as well. And nothing less will do. We need to be making sure we have total commitment and total surrender, and that was the cost of a disciple of Jesus, and it still is and so we transition from that to the heart of a disciple. What is the heart of a disciple? If you haven't yet, turn with me to John chapter six and we're going to look at uh, verses sixty through seventy one read that portion of scripture, and hopefully it'll give you a good uh, concept of this as well and go back and kind of comment on these things and bring hopefully some principles out for you to uh, live by. Uh, John chapter 6, verse, starting with verse 60. It says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you Are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, uh, though one of the, the twelve, was later to betray him. So imagine, imagine a church that grows from a dozen members, well over 5,000 in just three years. Imagine a church that does that. They have strong leaders, they have enthusiastic members and a fantastic preacher that's bringing the message. Miracles are happening every day. The whole country is talking about it. Everything is going wonderfully for that church. It's incredible. Then one morning, One morning, after the the preacher gives one short little sermon, a certain little topic, the congregation goes from 5,000 back down to the original 12. (laughs) Imagine imagine the preacher's uh, feeling about that. Um, And granted, the preacher was talking a little bit about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Um, That would probably scare a lot of people off, I'm sure. Um, But that's what happened to Jesus. In the text we just, we just read here, Jesus had developed a huge following. His congregation grew to the point that no building in Galilee could, could hold them. And all four of the Gospels uh, describe one meeting where he, he fed 5,000 men. It didn't even count the women and children at that time. 5,000 men. And after that, the people wanted to grab Jesus and make him their king and march on to Jerusalem in a big old victory parade. That's when Jesus ducked out. He and his men sailed the boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, but the next morning his his determined fans tracked him, and uh, instead of feeding them breakfast when they arrived, Jesus preached a a short sermon where he told them, I am the bread of life. And the people were a little confused. (laughs) Um, Their stomachs were growling, their, their blood sugar level was getting low, uh, hyperglycemia was probably setting in for some people, and their stomachs needed to be filled. Um, their mouths were watering for bread and fish, and they were thinking, I am the bread of life? What does this mean? And the crowd started grumbling, and as the day went on, most of them quit the church, <laughs> so to speak. Even many of the 70 disciples that Jesus had sent out as missionaries left him as well. And when Jesus looked around at the end of that day, only the 12 Remained, And since we're looking at uh, discipleship, it seems to make sense to take a little time here and look at those first 12 disciples. They were 12 very diverse men. (laughs) Very diverse. I don't know if you realize it or not. Look at Andrew. Andrew was known for bringing others to Christ. And as soon as he met Jesus, he ran to tell his brother the news. Philip also told his brother, Nathaniel. About Jesus. And Nathanael, also known probably for uh, uh, a little bit of uh, some good sense of humor going on here. Uh, when Philip told him about Jesus of Nazareth, Nathanael joked, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, uh, and then next we have James and John, a couple of fishermen brothers. They were the sons of Zebedee and, uh, and cousins of Jesus. And evidently they were not the shy, timid type. Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. <laughs> So they they had had the had the temper and the passion, and then there's James, son of Alphaeus. <clears throat> he was sometimes called James the Less. Maybe he was smaller or younger or quieter than the other James. I don't know. And then Matthew, he was a tax collector who worked for the government of Rome, of course. And then Simon the Zealot was an insurgent. He 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 was working to overthrow. The same government Matthew worked for. So you can see how all this is kind of meshing together a bit. Which brings us to Thaddeus, who was sometimes called Jude. And of course, there's Thomas, who is known for being a skeptic, demanding proof uh, that he would, before he would believe. So you get this group of ten so far that you're wondering, how in the world is this group going to stay together? And why did Jesus call these particular guys together? And then the last two were singled out in the text that we read uh, today. One for his faith and one for his unbelief. They are probably the best known of the apostles, but for opposite reasons. One is famous, one is infamous. But Peter and Judas have more in common than you might think. Both were personally called by Christ. Both were, Both answered the call and walked with Jesus every day for three years. Jesus. Both were leaders among the men. Peter was the spokesman and Judas was the treasurer of the group. When so many others turned away both men stayed with Jesus. They stayed with him all the way through the last supper at at Passover. So from all appearances they both looked like disciples but as you know and you can recall in scripture in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. One man had the heart of a disciple, the other did not. So we need to ask, what is the heart of a disciple? In you comparing Peter and Judas, it's a good way to see what is, the, what is at the heart of a disciple. And it it's interesting to see their similarities, it's essential to see their differences because one of these men served Christ all his days and the other one committed suicide. So it's important and very important to see these differences. When we compare Peter and Judas, there are at least three things we notice about a disciple I want to share with you today. The first thing we see is that a disciple holds to belief, not doubt. A disciple holds to belief, not doubt. Jesus said in in John chapter 6, verse 63 and 64 there in Scripture, we read, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. So deep in his heart, Judas doubted that Jesus was who he claimed to be. But Judas probably believed many other things about, about Jesus as well. He believed Jesus was powerful. He believed Jesus was going to set up a a political kingdom. Most important, Judas believed Jesus Jesus, uh, could deliver what he wanted, what Judas wanted. And what Judas wanted was wealth and power and status. And this is obvious if you look at the event that pushed Judas over the edge. If you recall, it was about six days before Passover when Mary anointed Jesus with some expensive perfume and she broke open the jar of perfume and it poured poured over his head and on his feet and then she knelt before jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and while the 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 fragrance of that perfume filled the house bitterness filled the heart of judas john chapter 12 says that judas complained what a waste We could have sold that perfume and given the money to the poor. And then the next verse then gives a glimpse of what was really in the heart of Judas. John chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Jesus told Judas, leave her alone. She has anointed me for my burial you will always have the poor with you but you will not always have me with you so was judas's pride injured because jesus rebuked him uh, was he angry to see all that money slip away from his control was he frustrated because he saw his gravy train drying up we don't know of everything that was in the heart of judas but we we do know that from that moment on judas lo- looked for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And Peter, on the other hand, believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And when Jesus asked his 12 disciples, will you leave me also? It was Peter who gave the first great confession of faith in verses 68 and 69 of John chapter 6. Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. A disciple holds to belief, not doubt. Another thing a disciple does is is a disciple listens to the word, not the world. Listens to the word, not the world. Peter was a true disciple because he listened to the word, not, not the world. There has always been tension between the teachings of the world and the teachings of Christ. If you just look at some of the conflicts for the early disciples, you'll see that. There was the world versus the word, of course. There was creation myths going on all over the place versus the Genesis creation account that went on. There was secularism or pagan religion all around coming against the one true God. There was a a, a, phanticide, killing of babies. There was uh, euthanasia as well too, but that came against the sanctity of human life as well. There was permissive morality, there was promiscuity, there was adultery, homosexuality, all these things against what was biblical morality, what, what was purity, fidelity, and, and uh, among uh, a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And the times may have changed a little bit since then, but you know what? The issues are, are, are not that different today, are they? You look at that. The word of God has not changed at all, though. It still stays solid and firm. But you have that, the world versus the word, evolutionary theory versus the Genesis cre- creation. You've got uh, secularism or New Age religion uh, coming against uh, the one true God. You have abortion and euthanasia coming against, of course, the sanctity of human life. And you still have permissive morality going on all around us. Uh, Again, of course, coming against the biblical morality. It's bad enough that there is conflict between the church and the world. It is worse when that same conflict happens within the church itself. And these days, wow, that can be easily uh, occurring within a church. Because if you go through and you just look at what you have on your face, Face mask, oh my goodness, that has caused a lot of issues going on, not with, uh, with only uh, families, but also too within churches as well. And uh, <clears throat> uh, COVID man- mandates and restrictions and, and what people think about vaccination. And we could can, we can just I can list a whole bunch of hot topics and hot buttons that people are going, oh, you can feel your blood pressure going up already. But uh, those things can cause a lot of division within the church as well too. Uh, the Southern Baptist uh, Church uh, have had their issues lately, if you haven't read the news and taken a look at things. Um, uh, we have a, a, a CRT going about and LGBTQ policies that are happening within the, uh, the, the Southern Baptist uh, Churches community there. Politics, uh, just recently mishandling the sexual uh, abuse. Uh, the executive committee of, of the denomination has waived attorney right privilege privileges. And so you have issues going on within that denomination happening. It's, it's, it's not looking good. In fact, one of the um, SBC executive committee members resigned. The, the CEO resigned. There have been other people who have resigned uh, just because of the direction that uh, uh, Southern Baptist Church is going. But uh, one, one guy named Rod Martin wrote uh, in his letter of resignation, from the SBC executive committee. He said, the SBC is in grave danger. We will have to do Herculean things to save it. And we must. We educate a third of the seminary students in America and feel the largest missionary force in the, in the world. We cannot allow this enormous force for good to be destroyed, whether by vile, wicked sex abusers who have violated the ultimate trust or by foolish, self-serving leaders who have exposed the church to needless danger. We can punish the guilty while saving our churches and our convention. We must. <laughs> and those, those are some strong words. Standing up against for a, 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 what is right <clears throat> and against a, probably a direction that a lot of other people are, are, going, are going against. And it, about 15 years ago, the uh, Episcopal Church was in turmoil over the issue of homosexuality. That denomination voted to accept the ordination of a homosexual priest. And right after that decision, one of the TV news shows interviewed an Episcopal priest, and this particular priest represented the church members who disagreed with the decision of their leaders. And here's what he told the interviewer. He said, you've got to realize that we are not Christians because we have philosophically thought our way through to brilliant human conceived notions. We are Christians because we have a revelation from the outside by God and of God in the old testament in its fulfillment in Christ and in his, uh, and then in his explanation as he would come through the apostles then he came to the to the, uh, the the clincher of it all when he was in this interview and he said as christians our determiner of right and wrong is scripture we are people of the book <laughs> And then referring to the church leadership, he said these words. He said, these people have not merely made a change in church policy. They have rebelled against Christ and his teachings. Again, taking real courage to stand up uh, to say those words. He was definitely putting Christ above his career and definitely making sure that uh, Jesus was more important and uh, his relationship in that way and what was right. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. We need to follow the, the word, not the world. And when you are forced to choose between God's word and the world, whose side will you be on? You may have to choose whether you want to be politically correct or biblically correct. Will you obey the government or God? Will you listen to the media? or the master? Will you follow culture or Christ? Will you believe the world or the Word? A disciple listens to the Word, not the world. And the fact is that none of us have the strength to stand against the world on our own. <laughs> we can try. We can try, but I don't believe uh, we'll be very successful. That's why a disciple uh, with this last point here, has to live by the Spirit, not by the power of the flesh. You have to live by the Spirit, not the power of the flesh. Uh, Jesus said, again, in verse 36, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Now, here's the fundamental difference between Peter and Judas. Peter lived by the Spirit. Judas lived by the flesh. We think of Judas as a man who is unworthy of the name disciple. You look back and you go, why did Jesus choose him? He didn't, he tried to, he, tried to, he, he betrayed Jesus. Why would he be named a disciple? We should, we should cancel that disciple right off that list, right? On the other hand, Peter is exactly what a disciple should be. But the truth is, and in and of themselves, neither man was good enough to be a disciple. Neither of them was good enough. Uh, have you ever thought I'm not good enough to be a disciple of Jesus? Yeah, you know, I can be a follower, but boy, well, you know what? I I, I mess up. I, I should probably be kicked out of the club. Why? You know, I don't know if I'm good at this or not. Uh, do you know someone who who thinks they are not good enough to be a, a Christian? Uh, they tried it. And, you know, it just didn't work out for me, and so. They they felt that they weren't good enough. A comparison of Peter and Judas shows what's wrong with that kind of thinking, where we think we need to be good enough. Judas was out for himself. He wanted status and power. But you look at Peter, Peter also wanted status and power. He, along with the others, argued over who would be greatest in the Messiah's kingdom. Remember that? Judas, he failed to understand the purpose of Jesus. we, We get that. We saw that. But Peter didn't understand it either. Both of them thought Jesus would overthrow Rome and set up an earthly kingdom where they, would, uh, they could rule with him. Jesus called Judas a devil. You saw it right here in Scripture. We just read it. In, in uh, John chapter 6, uh, verse 70, he replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. The next verse, though, explains that he was talking about Judas Iscariot. But then Jesus also called Peter a devil. If you remember? Matthew 16, Jesus told his men that he was going to be crucified in Jerusalem, and Peter pulled him aside and argued, Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. Then Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Judas also, too, betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And guess what? Peter denied Jesus three times with curses. Judas felt remorse and threw the 30 silver coins on the floor of the temple, and then he went out and he hanged himself. Peter repented with tears. Later, he was reconciled with the resurrected Jesus. Peter went on to preach the sermon that kick-started the church on the day of Pentecost. And, and when Peter died, it was as a martyr who had lived all his days as a true disciple of Jesus. Jesus. So you look at that and you say, what what caused them to go then different directions? And here's the difference between Judas and Peter. At their time of greatest crisis, Judas turned to himself for what needed to happen. Ended up committing suicide. Peter turned to Christ, and he lived out all his days as a true disciple. Live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Turning to Christ for the answers, turning to him for the help, and not turning to yourself. And here's the thing. Have have you reached a turning point in your life? Have have you you ever failed in a big way like Peter did? Have you betrayed Christ with your words, maybe your actions in some, some extent? Have you realized that you are unworthy to be a disciple? guess what? Join the club. <laughs> We're all there. We're all there. We're not good enough, but we sure can trust in God and follow him as best we can, but with also too, the Spirit, <laughs> not by our own flesh, by the Spirit. Not one of us is good enough to be a disciple of Jesus. And the only way to have the heart of a true disciple, to hold to belief and not doubt, to listen to the word and not the world, to live by the Spirit and not the flesh, is to give yourself heart and soul to Jesus Christ. Entirely. Nothing in reserve. Last week, we talked about the cost of a disciple. I believe it still applies even today when we look at this portion of this, uh, this series the heart of a disciple. Last week, we talked about how it was a a total commitment. All that you, you have. And we talked about the total surrender. All that you are or will be. It's the cost of being a disciple. The thing is is that if you don't pay up, then you're going to pay up later in other ways because it's going to come back to bite you. Total surrender, total commitment, giving, to Jesus, what, what he he wants from you. And, and that is a, a total committed follower of Jesus. Whatever he says, you, you, you say yes. Whatever he does, you follow that closely. Surrender in your life. And again, who you are. A total surrender. Yeah, who you yeah. will be. You got some plans and goals. Well, submit them to, 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 to Jesus. And that's when we come to the altar and we go, okay, you know, I've been living my own life. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. But man, you know, there's some areas of my life I have not given over. I have not surrendered. I have not paid that cost of being a disciple. The thing is, if you don't pay that price now, later on down the line, what you did not pay will come back and be that stumbling block in your walk with Christ. Surrender it. Give it all to Jesus. Because when you do, uh, like I mentioned before, that's the abundant life, living for Him. I'm going to have Annie and Don coming up. They're going to lead us in the last couple of songs. As they do, I just want you to think of those things that have been talked about here today. And if the Holy Spirit's tapping you on the shoulder about something, all I ask is that you just be obedient to what the Holy Spirit has for you. If it means coming up here and praying at the altar, great. If it means staying there and praying, great. Those who are online, if, if again, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, take time. Take time, create a little altar right there for you, and and uh, spend time in prayer. But whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about, I just, I, I pray that you will act in obedience. Whatever that is for you, it's between you and God. But I trust uh, as we sing these next songs, Draw Me Close to You is a song that hopefully will... Get us in the mindset of realizing that we can come close to God, and have His presence with us, especially during the time when we just we need His help in our life. <laughs> so, as we sing this next song, let it be a prayer for you, as uh, we draw close to Him.